Good evening, Patriots. And it's Thursday, January 12th in the year 2023. And the East Coast has just turned into Friday, which is always a... Well, I guess Fridays are always a good thing. Looking forward to it actually tomorrow because I'm going to go out and hang out with some cows tomorrow in between podcasts, of course. But that's good. One of the things we need to really be aware of in this changing climate is what we're witnessing in terms of governmental rules and attempts to take more control over our lives. As you've probably been hearing, they've been trying to ban gas stoves. And they claim, one of the claims is that it's causing neurological damage, which is just another way of trying to hide the effects of this injection, sadly. But it's also just more controls of our lives to try to squish everybody into this electric future and this electric requirement so that they can build an Internet of Things environment where they can track you on everything you use and do, and they can control you with a flip of a switch. So it also means with that they're engineering other things like food crises. So make sure in this point in time that you are getting your stocks up and taking good preparations beyond just your gardening and canning. Make sure you have some solid food stocks that will take care of you and be be able to be kept on the shelf for a long time, like 20 years. Try this. Patriots, you can hide your head in the sand or you can face the future head on. Those are your two options. If you want to remain free and self-reliant, Despite whatever happens in the world, you need to get yourself enough emergency food so you can survive the coming chaos in our society. You can fully expect food shortages if everything breaks down. And if you don't already have enough food on hand, you will regret it. So do yourself a favor and go to preparewithbards.com and save $200 on a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's largest preparedness company, and they're knocking $200 off the regular price of their three-month kit to help make it affordable for families who are feeling the pain of inflation right now. At this price, get one kit per person for your family. These kits are in stock, and they ship fast and free. Save $200 per kit when you go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. Patriots, I've said it so many times, food security is the foundation of personal sovereignty. So head on over to preparewithbards.com and take advantage of this amazing offer. Do it today. It's a great offer. It's a great company. So check it out, preparewithbards.com. We're going to, I'm going to play a piece here. It's about six minutes and it's on the book of Philemon, which is really interesting. This is Paul's letter to Philemon. There's a lot in this. It's a one page letter. It's the shortest book in the New Testament. And it's, I think it's only like 360 some words or something like that. It's very, maybe 400. It's very short. We're going to read it after that, but there's a lot in this that applies to kind of where we are today. And what's really interesting about the whole context of the letter is that Philemon was actually more of an aristocrat or or wealthy person in Rome. And it's the whole process of what Paul reaches in and asks of him, which is rather profound, um, considering that he has now proclaimed himself, Philemon has proclaimed himself to be a follower of Christ. So Bible Project, like I like so much, they have a great piece here on Philemon. It's, like I said, about six minutes, 30 seconds. We're going to play that, and then we'll read into the script and then take it down those crazy roads that I do anyway. So here we go. Paul's letter to Philemon. 
It was written during one of Paul's many imprisonments, and it's actually his shortest letter in the New Testament. But don't let its size trick you. It's actually one of the most explosive things that Paul ever wrote. Here's the backstory that we can piece together from details within the letter. Philemon was a well-to-do Roman citizen from Colossae who likely met Paul during his mission in Ephesus, and he became a follower of Jesus. Then later, when Paul's co-worker Epaphras started a Jesus community in Colossae, Philemon became a leader of a church that met in his house. Now, Philemon, like all household patriarchs in the Roman world, owned slaves, one of whom was named Onesimus. And at some point, these two had a serious conflict. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way. Maybe it was theft or maybe he cheated him. We don't exactly know. But afterwards, Onesimus ran away. Eventually, Onesimus came to Paul in prison, likely to appeal for help. And in the process, he became a follower of Jesus and then a beloved assistant of Paul. And so Paul finds himself in a very difficult and delicate situation as he writes this letter. He's going to ask Philemon not just to forgive Onesimus and receive him back, but to embrace him as a brother in the Messiah and no longer as a slave. Here's how he does it. Paul opens with a prayer, first praising Philemon and thanking God for the love and faithfulness he's shown to Jesus, to his people. And he then paves the way for his request with this line. I pray that the partnership that springs from your faith may effectively lead you to recognize all the good things that work in us, leading us into the Messiah. Now, a key word here is partnership, or in Greek, koinonia. It means sharing or mutual participation. It's when two or more people receive something together and share in it, becoming partners. Paul's saying that faithfulness to Jesus means recognizing that all of his followers are equal partners who share together in the gift of God's love and grace. And for Paul, this experience of koinonia among Jesus' followers, it's not just an idea that you think about, it's something that you do in your relationships. Which moves Paul onto his request. He finally brings up Onesimus. He says that he's become Paul's child in prison, meaning that Paul led Onesimus to dedicate his life and allegiance to Jesus. And so Paul and Onesimus are now family members in the Messiah. He's been serving Paul faithfully in prison, and even though Paul wants to keep him around, he knows that this unresolved conflict with Philemon has to be reconciled if they say that they're followers of Jesus. Which moves Paul on to his bold request, that Philemon receive Onesimus back no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a beloved brother in the Lord. Now, this is a really tall order. Under Roman law, Philemon had every legal right to have Onesimus punished or put in prison. And Paul's not only asking him to forgive Onesimus, but to welcome back his former slave into Colossae as a social equal, as a family member. This is way more than kindness. This is unheard of. It's freeing a slave and then treating them like a family member. It upsets the status quo of the Roman social order, why should Philemon do such a thing? And here Paul pulls a brilliant move. He recalls that key word from the opening prayer. He says, if you're truly a partner with me, it's that Greek word koinonia again, then welcome Onesimus as if he were me. And if he's wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to me and I will repay it. So in this request, we see the heart of Paul's gospel message being acted out. It's first of all about reconciliation. It's just like he told the Corinthians. 
in the Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. So in this situation, Paul is putting himself in the place of Jesus. He will absorb the consequences of Onesimus' wrongdoing. He will pay the cost so that he can be reconciled to Philemon. But Paul's message was about more than just a legal transaction. It's also about koinonia. Onesimus and Philemon and Paul are all equals before God. They all share the same need for forgiveness. And so the ground is level before the cross, which means that Philemon and Onesimus can no longer relate to each other as master and slave. They're family members. They're brothers in the Messiah. Or as Paul told Philemon and the whole church of Colossae, in God's new family, people are not Greek or Jewish or circumcised or uncircumcised or foreigners or uncivilized or slave or free, but the Messiah is all and is in all people. Paul closes the letter stating his confidence that Philemon will do even more than Paul's requested. And he asks him to prepare a guest room because he wants to visit as soon as he gets out of prison. And then with some final greetings, Paul ends the letter. Paul's letter to Philemon is powerful for many reasons. It's the only letter where Paul doesn't explicitly mention Jesus' death or resurrection, and this is not an oversight. He doesn't need to explain the cross with words because he's demonstrating it through his actions. Paul's embodying here the meaning of the cross. He has made himself the place through which Onesimus and Philemon are reconciled to God and then to each other. This letter also shows us that the implications of the good news about Jesus, they are extremely personal and never private. The fact that Philemon and Onesimus are now brothers in the Messiah, it makes their master-slave relationship totally irrelevant. The family of Jesus' people is the place where all are equal recipients of God's grace. It's a new kind of society, or a new humanity, as he called it in the letter to the Colossians, where people's value and social status, it's not defined by race or gender or social or economic class. In the Messiah, there are simply new humans who are equal partners, who share together in God's healing mercy through Jesus. And that's what Paul's letter to Philemon is all about. I would say that letter, this letter actually is amazing. And I have not studied it very long, in fact, because it's so easy to miss this one book in the New Testament. It's one page, effectively. And yet it is so profound in what it's saying. We'll read the we'll leave, read Philemon here in just a moment, but really think about what is being said here is that when we accept Christ in our life, that all of our social statuses, our our hierarchies, our placement of how we see each other, is all nullified. That's a really profound space, especially where we are in this country right now and in this world, where governments are trying to cling on to the elitism of ruling over the people. And that gets into our Declaration of Independence, which in itself is amazing. Because Philemon really dictates very closely where we are as a nation and where we're trying to become a nation again, where it is the people and the government is subordinate to the people. So last night, if you remember, when we read about Esther, which was Esther 8.11, by the way, it talked about liberty and freedom to assemble and freedom to protect yourself. So that was the first and the second amendment 
that came that we could point directly to a biblical reference, which would be Esther 8.11. In Philemon, we can point to the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, that all men are created equal. An amazing statement. And it's setting, it. it's not saying that people don't do different jobs or don't have different roles, but it's the equality of liberty through all people and life and the pursuit of happiness. Philemon is saying just that. He's saying that because the, there is an acceptance of Christ that bonds them all, that binds them all, no longer can you keep one in submission by forced submission, which would be a slavery. And then now you, everyone has to be equal. So you can imagine the profound state that Philemon would be in, in Rome, where part of status was to own slaves. And now he's been asked not only to bring him into his home, but to free him and see him as, not just free him, but to see him as an equal as a friend of Paul's. So let's read Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Arachopus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and to Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge and good which which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus." I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with him or keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I do not want to do anything so that your goodness would be, would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, change, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I repay it not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope to hope that through my, your prayers I will, I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He's asking him to be of a heart of a cheerful giver. And to see that this moment of what becomes of being in the body of Christ does not mean we get to remain in the same stations of where we were. It's really a profound consideration in in all of Scripture, this one short book that we refer to it as a book, it's more of a letter, has so much implications for the way that we see Christ in our lives. We're told that once we accept Christ, our lives are transformed and we look to God to kind of guide us. But this is one of these places where we don't see this acted out very well or very often. I want to give you some examples, an example, a living example of this, which, again, is the Church of Glad Tidings in Yuba City. And there, where there's a very active program to work with those that have been in prison, to work with those that have done hard time, and hard time for things like trafficking drugs, trafficking guns, we're not talking little things, working for cartels, murder, those sorts of bigger crimes. Those men have come across to Jesus and they've come through the church program where they've accepted Christ. They've gone through deliverance work. And what's really amazing is when you're in the congregation and what most churches would cringe at, or at least you would see the separation of the of the congregation, kind of the cliquish, clannish thing. Because those folks over there, those tatted up guys, there's a lot of them. You can tell when some of them are pretty new out of jail too because they're still dressed very much in a prison way. And they're just trying to get acclimated. But that church welcomes them. And they don't welcome them as second-class citizens. They welcome them as members of the body of Christ. Because if they've come into the congregation, they've already made it that far. Philemon, I would imagine as a nobleman, having had slaves, as he got to know Paul, and he's built a church, and I'm, I'm projecting here because I don't know, but I would imagine that it would have been a real transformational moment in his relationship with God to have to consider freeing his slave and then accepting him 
as an equal. And yet that's the true depth of a loving, healing heart right there. To do that greater thing that we're not ready to do, somewhere at least we don't think we are, and yet Paul knew he was. And what's really amazing is how Paul presents that because he even says that I have the power basically to tell you to do this. Therefore, though, I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. Yet for love's sake, in other words, my deep respect for you, I rather appeal to you, which is for you to search your heart, in other words, find this in in your heart in prayer. Since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul's gone through something here that it's hard to relate to unless you've had the, I don't know if you want to say unfortunate experience or God's or the benefit of the experience of actually being thrown in jail. And so Paul has worked from being obviously high up in his prior life, lots of power, murdering Christians, to being called by God on the road to Damascus, to where he's transformed and he becomes a disciple of Jesus. And then he becomes this resolute power and a wise man of the word who has now fallen from the, gone from the highest order of power other than the king. And he wasn't, I mean, that's how high up he's up that, at that level to where he's now fallen to chains in prison, making a plea to a nobleman who has been walking with Christ, but asking the nobleman to take and put at risk everything about his reputation. Within this little story is everything in the walk of Christ. It is just that. Where does your heart truly lie? What sacrifices are you willing to make? And what values do you place on the relationship in Jesus and the depth of your love and trust in God? In, this is in just 400 some odd words. It's all there. And that's what makes this to me one of, probably one of the more important books of Paul, if not one of the more important books in the Bible because of the consequences of what's being asked. And if you re- take that upon yourself and someone was to say, for example, and just to try to relate this to a modern day, and I think every one of us would have to sit back and think about this. But let's say that we have somebody who is Antifa, who we knew was Antifa, and we received a letter from somebody we trusted, like Paul, and said, I would like you to cast aside your differences of this man who's come from jail, and I would like you to accept him into your home, where he has now walked in the body of Christ. He's, He's accepted Jesus. And I want you to accept him in his home, not just because I'm asking you, but because I would like you to choose to, and I would like you to see him as an equal partner in this. And I'm just using that example of you're being asked to take on somebody like Antifa. And that's why I go back to Yuba City with the work that Dave, Pastor Dave Bryant does. And I, I told you the one story there, which I'm going to relate again because it's just a powerful story. And it's a story of one person in the church whose nephew was murdered as a revenge for, for some stuff he had done in the past. 
And he had since been out of jail, out of prison, and had been working at the church. And his first inclination was blood begets blood. So he was going to seek vengeance. And he was given the choice. And Dave Bryant gave him the choice. If you have a choice now before you, he says, as the story was related to me, you have a choice before you. You can choose to go down that path. And since you've now accepted Christ, there are definite consequences to that. You understand the consequences, but you're going to have to choose. Or you can choose the path of Christ. And it was, to my understanding, this was a massive, massive growth point for somebody. You can imagine. He had the pressure of his family wanting to seek blood on blood. The answer that he found was to confront the individual in church, in front of the church, when they were doing the equivalent of an altar call. They didn't call it an altar call. They were doing the equivalent of that. And he confronted him, the guy that had killed his nephew, and he put an end to the blood rift by saying, I forgive you. And then he embraced him, and they shed tears. See, we don't really see in our daily lives, I think we get wrapped up heavily with a lot of what we see as problems and challenges. And I'm not going to minimize or dramatize anybody's challenges. But I don't think we see or believe enough in the power of the supernatural God. And this is something, I, it, to me, it's one of the biggest challenges I think we face, and it's something I pursue every day, is understanding the power of the supernatural God. Because when we hear a story like I just told, or we hear this story here in Philemon, we have a tendency to personalize it within a human form. And what that means is we start to look at this through the emotions of the moment, and we don't see it through the lens of a loving, healing, and supernatural God. That story I just related to you from Glad Tidings Church is a profound story because it literally is a story of healing of two people. And that didn't just happen because one person just said, okay, today I'm going to let it go. It happened because they leaned in, they trusted in Christ, and the power of the supernatural healing of the supernatural God was able to settle in on both of them and touch both their hearts and end a vicious cycle of blood. So as we're walking in this world right now, we're challenged with a lot of things. And it's, as I talked about last hour, what's real? Because it's a constant plurality of things. There's deceptions. We have technologies in play. We have things we don't even understand in technologies that are in play. We're being forced into this fourth industrial or yeah, fourth industrial revolution, fifth generation warfare with fourth industrial revolution. So the fifth generation of warfare is trying to get in your head and it's using your mind as the battlefield while they try to force us into this fourth industrial revolution concept, which is artificial intelligence, it's genetic genetic manipulation, it's integration of technology with the human being. It's living in a virtual space. And it's Internet of Things, where everything is digitally tracked and monitored. This is where they're trying to shuttle everybody in as a global world. That becomes, 
And in this craziness of all things, as we look at one side and go, wow, that's crazy. Like some of this stuff that's coming out with Biden today and the obsession people are having on that. What they're missing is that they're trying to create this noise, this insanity where you're like, I I can't be part of that insanity. And so they offer another pathway, which people will accept. But the pathway is the trap. The insanity is the distraction to try to drive you away and herd you into the trap. But there's a way out of that. And it's the choice. And it's those hard choices that Philemon represents. It's the hard choice of not saying, well, they can't, I have to wait for Jesus to come back. Paul is not asking him to wait for the return of Christ. In fact, he's implying that you have an obligation in this world to make this choice, but I want you to seek it and find it yourself. Because this is a profound decision he's having to make. It can destroy his entire social class. It could destroy his reputation. He may, he's already started a church. He may, Philemon may have to face the loss of people at his church because we don't know. Perhaps his church is made up of his own friends and his social class, which would be common and accepted, right? So he is facing a critical moment of having to make a decision, truly a decision between the Lord and trying to balance Jesus in his way of life. It's all in or nothing. And again, this comes back to where we are this, in this time, answering the call. God has given us a, a position in life right now that is truly profound. An, an, oppor- an opportunity to pursue him relentlessly and to be able to come closer to him than we've ever imagined. And it's so easy to to reach that way right now. And I say that because the world is very clear what it is. If you want part of this world, then just run for the world and and you will leave God behind. But as we try to separate, and there's challenges, don't get me wrong, there's enormous challenges as we face the separation from this world to where God wants us to be. But Philemon is there. He hits that point. And this is far before any time we are dealing with now, but he's having to hit that point to make that significant choice of is it for Jesus or is it for you? Are you going to try to balance the two and put one foot in the old world and try to touch the waters of the reborn through Christ? Or are you truly going to step into the place of living in the body of Christ? And Paul puts him there. He forces him right into that decision point with a single letter. And in that moment, he has to choose if he's going to make that choice and then put his emphasis on Onesimus, who was his slave, to start realizing that in this walk in Father, things are different. They work differently. There's a kingdom rule of law. It's, it's moral law. And that's what our Declaration of Independence is built on. And in the world where Philemon is, they have the architecture of the government above the people. And slaves are even subordinate to that aristocratic class that's close to the government. But in that moment, Paul's upended everything, right? And he's now said, you need to make a decision of what kingdom you're in, who, whom it is that you shall serve on this day. And those decisions then define us. 
I think every single one of us has these decisions before us. And I think every single one of us has these places. It's a distinction. So, so I just saw this comment come up, so I'm going to play with this. I was making a very clear statement earlier about Israel. And this is a great place of looking at it. Within this letter, it does not say that there is a superior class in God's kingdom. Churches teach this worship of Israel. It does not say that. And so people always confuse when God says to pray for Israel. It doesn't say to pray for the government of Israel, and it doesn't say that Israel of the, of the Rothschild's origin to pray for. And I'm going to keep saying that. Praying for those people of Israel, of course. But we're having to move into a new principle of, of this. We have to separate that. You're going to have to separate the equality within the kingdom and the politics and the artificial borders that define us. Because we live in a world where we're defined by geopolitical boundaries. No different than what Paul is dealing with here. There is a boundary between a slave and an owner. And we're dealing right now with these separations of geopolitical boundaries. Chinese, Japanese, American, Israeli. And then they like to throw in a little little mix like this thing about being Jew or being Christian. These pots have all been stirred in uniquely so that we are constantly at odds and in conflict. And part of that is to create conflict within ourselves. But within the body of Christ, none of that is there. It blends away. There is a powerful movement of Christians in China. In fact, it's one of the fastest growing places for Christianity in the world. There's powerful movements of faith in Africa. But these are levels of assembly and levels of dedication that, quite frankly, we don't even know in this world. We don't know in this country. And we don't know it in the West because things have become very vanilla, very careful. And yet, even though we're watching the persecution of our faith and it's happening in the rotting of the pulpit, it's happening through the 501c3 sellouts, It's happening towards the alliances between government and church. It's happening with the infestation of the ideologies of the woke religion into the religion of Jesus or the faith and teachings of Christ. It's happening all around us. And we can't acquiesce. One of the great things about this is Paul holds a very solid line. There is no discussion about churches. It's his relationship in Christ Jesus. And that's the equalizer. And so it doesn't matter where Philomen is in his status. It doesn't matter as he's speaking to him where Onesimus is in his status. It does matter in Rome. It matters a lot because Rome has been defined by men. But it doesn't matter when you come to the body of Christ. Our persecution here is almost unseen or unheard of. Our extent of persecution in Christian faith in the United States 
is something like my church got closed and they told me I can't pray and I don't know what to do versus China where it's you're going to prison and if you get on a DNA proper DNA list and somebody from New York flies in that needs a new kidney, we're going to take yours if you're a match. Because China's not going to waste a good body. Reports are coming out of Ukraine right now that they're doing checkpoints to see who's Christian, which may be true. I don't know. I can't verify that totally. And when you're living in the land of Israel, and they just recently had the assembly of leaders go to Mount Sinai and proclaim a new Ten Commandments because they thought gods weren't enough for climate change. This is true. No one said a word over there. They just accepted it as normal. See, it's important that we get the lens on this properly because politics have become an ideology and a separate religion that has corrupted our belief in our relationship to Christ. And Paul's not speaking to any of that. In fact, he's challenging that with Philemon. Because Philemon is part of the Roman culture. He's going to be looked at from by other Romans. And it's going to have to come to him to have the confidence in his heart and his relationship with God that he's released Onesimus from a slave to become an equal. And it could cost him everything. But what it will never cost him is his relationship with God. And see, therein is kind of the final part of that story. How, how true is your faith? And what is your walk here? And what is your walk for? In the body of Christ, we reach across the world to unite. And though we may have different languages and we may have different backgrounds and upbringings, the love in our Savior is the great equalizer. It matters not to me if a person comes from the Middle East, if a person comes from Africa, China, Central Asia, South America, North America, the world as we know it, Europe, in the body of Christ, as we walk, we are all equal. And there's something else that's there, too, that Paul has is, is referenced, which is we are literally brothers and sisters in a common walk, which would suggest a much higher order of existence. An existence where we actually have a moral law that guides us so profoundly that in those moments, we don't need the laws of men to control us, to punish us, etc. That type of thinking, the closest we get to that is anarchism. In not the form of, as you would know it, but the traditional form of anarchism, which is literally a liberty of each person, so profound that no government will be above you. When we add that layer in our own Declaration of Independence, which is so amazing, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men 
deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In other words, government is below the people and God is above all. And as I've said many times on this show, what's most profound about the Declaration of Independence is that they did create a royalty. This is a royal country, a country of royal rule, but not ruled by the royalty of Europe where it's men or women on the throne, ruled by the royalty of God himself. And we are his subjects and subordinate to us is government because it exists because of the consent of the governed. We are the governed. It exists because of us, and it, 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 it's an extension of our will to see that things are done. Imagine that on a global scale. Because at that point in time, we're not looking at each other then from these strange optics of national politics. But national politics have become a really interesting piece woven into our current pulpits, and it gets very confusing. And I think Paul cuts right to the chase on that and cuts right to the core when he's talking to Philomen and asking him to do this profound act, which is literally take back your slave, who is now my brother, and because he has accepted Christ and he is my brother, he is no longer a slave. And he's no longer as he was of Rome. He is now of the kingdom. And in that process, I need you, as you and I are brothers, I need you to bring him up, and release him from his bondages, and embrace him as a brother of mine and yours as equal. What a profound statement and place to be. That speaks to so much of what divides us today and what, you, what could unite us. And that, to me, is a deep, deep reflection of what goes on in the body of Christ. We are not here to worship idols. We are not here to worship leaders or countries or things. We are here to walk in this world, to share the beauty and glory of Christ, the good news to unite people through the body of Christ, accepting that the types of the kingdom is not, the kingdom world is not a socialist empire. Rather, it is a, it is a world where there is difference, but what unites everybody is the common love and bond through Christ. So there is going to be financial disparity. But the difference is that it doesn't matter because when we work within the stations that God has given us, he provides all that we need. And the excess that we have then is used for the benefit of others. All of this is in this little 400 some odd character or word piece is there in Paul's letter. And it all comes down to the simple choice, a profound choice that Philemon has to make. Will you free your slave and see him as an equal in the body of Christ? Or will you say by word that you're a follower of Christ and retain your allegiance to the hierarchy and structures that exist within Rome? It is your day to choose. 
and you must choose whom you shall serve. Let's pray. Father, we've had a very profound and in, insightful walk now through a very what seemingly simple text of Philemon. And a deep reminder of the challenges that face each one of us. The challenges to overcome many of the perceptions and biases and intentional divisions that have been sown into our culture, into our lives, to create false worship, to create false idols. Reminded by the letter from Paul to Philemon and the power of the body of Christ, the power of what it means to truly accept Jesus in our life. Not to look as though if there is some special class of Christians, not to see the world as if there is this place of nation states of one greater than the other, but rather to see us all as part of one common body, walking in unison in this body of Christ, led by you and your wisdom. This is a blessed insight, Father, and we thank you for this and just ask that these words, however they're heard, that they can continue to resonate and challenge all of us to reflect deeply on our walk, to balance that challenge between what we see before us and what we know in our heart in our relationship in Christ and be able to have the courage to stand and make the hard decisions, not to try to balance with one foot in the old world of the matrix of the control and hierarchy world, the world of greed and exploitation, and then try to tap our other toe in the waters of Christ, but rather to put both feet in the side of kingdom and to walk there knowing that you will guide us. All will be provided, though that world cannot be one of our expectations, but rather our world of trust and faith in you. Guide us, Father, in these times, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Real challenges that we each of us, I believe, will face or have faced. And probably will continue to. We're seeing an unbelievable unraveling. This government is going to try to do everything it can to offer you trust. They're going to try to promise you great things in these new waves of things, these new opportunities. They're going to tell you about, and they already are. Look at the greatness of what has come out of these injections. Look at the greatness of what AI will do for you. Look at the greatness of what a digital currency will allow for simplified transactions across the world. They'll tell you things like it's a way of moving forward because we no longer have to carry bulk change or money or even have silver coinage because it will be standardized to a digital realm. But don't worry, your money will be backed by gold, whatever that means. Digital numbers backed by gold. They're going to lure everybody they can into this trap. And sadly, it's missed one of the greatest points. We don't need more things, more gadgets. We don't need technologies managing our every breath as they work overtime to convince us that we're not capable of getting along when the whole time is they were the ones that created the division and sowed the seeds of hate. Rather, what we have to do is step back, reflect as Philemon had to do. Will you accept 
that slave as an equal? Will you accept that enemy if they accepted Christ in their life as an equal? These are the sorts of challenges that will lay ahead of us. It's not an if, it's a guarantee. And this remnant, this rising, will have to demonstrate that moral law because in doing so, we create a mighty army. And Paul understood that too. And we will create powerful people within the kingdom. We have to be both the wisdom of Paul and we have to have the courage that Paul is asking Philemon to have. And in doing so, this army in the body of Christ under the banner of Christ, there is nothing that can ever stop it. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest end. Oh, I want to feel something. Let me get back in.